Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host, Heath, and with me today is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. With you today, as always. As always. How you doing, Daphne? I'm fabulous. Thank you for asking. How are you, Heath? I'm uh, doing pretty good. I'm just excited that... You know, I'm really sad that we're already halfway through October because this is my favorite month of the year. And by the way, guys, you better have your decorations up or I'm going to be really disappointed. She's going to kick some ass. Anyway, today we are going to talk about a really kind of freaky thing. I don't know what it is about this subject that just really intrigues me. Every time I hear a story about it, I just want to know more. I don't know why. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. And this is one of those ones where it's like, it's a creepy story, but it also kind of pertains to our other podcast, which is Going West True Crime. If you guys, I mean, obviously you guys probably know that that's our other podcast by now. But yeah, today's uh, episode is creepy, it's freaky, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Do you ever get the feeling that someone may be watching you? Have you ever walked home or to your car on a dark, cold night? and felt a presence lurking in the shadows? Did Rockwell's single, Somebody's Watching Me, sound more like an autobiography of your life rather than a fun and totally spooky 80s hit? Well, as scary as that sounds, it may hold more truth than fiction. Today we take a look at some of the most unsettling stories that are sure to make you check your car, house, and your closet, and more in this twisted tale we call The Stalker. Most of us have seen scary films regarding stalkers, but even if you haven't, you should know that stalkers do exist. But before we get into those freaky peeper stories, let's get scientific for a moment. If you've ever sensed that you're being watched and you swear you could feel it, you're probably not psychic and there is a valid explanation for that. See, we as humans have what's called gaze perception which allows us to tell if someone is looking at us or not. Our brain has a system that gives us cues and fires off cells when someone is looking directly at us, especially at a distance. We also use our peripheral view and body language to help determine this as well. If a person's body and head are pointed in our direction, that tells us that someone is potentially watching us. And if a person's body is facing away, but their head is pointed at us, we get an even heavier cue that someone is looking at us. So when you get the sense that someone's staring at you, you may actually be right. Stalking is described as the act or crime of willfully and repeatedly following or harassing another person in circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to fear injury or death, especially because of express or implied threats. But some of you probably didn't know is that before 1990, Stalking was not punishable by the law, so you could actually get away with it. That's so scary for people whose lives are being put in danger, and the law is just like, well, he can do that. Exactly. So for decades, stalking wasn't seen as a crime, therefore giving leverage to the creeps of the world. If that doesn't freak you out, consider that between 12 and 16% of women and around 4 to 7% of men will be stalked throughout their lifetime in the U.S. That's about 800,000 people being creeped on. Do you think it's more because of social media? I think, yeah, definitely. And we're going to get into that as well. So according to Dr. Ronald M. Holmes, a professor of criminology, there are seven different types of stalkers. 
There's the lust stalker, who stalks their victims for sexually motivated reasons. The domestic stalker, who typically follows a former spouse or a former partner. The love-scorned stalker, who desires a relationship with a victim who's refused their advances. The celebrity stalker, which I probably don't even need to explain. The political stalker, which is usually motivated by political agreements or disagreements. The hit stalker, who would be like your contract killers or murder-for-hire type people. And lastly, there's the revenge stalker, who's usually a former employee or a resentful neighbor. Along with these different categories of stalkers, there are also subcategories. Like Heath said, we have internet stalkers, stalkers who follow you on foot, phone call stalkers, and even male stalkers, M-A-I-L, who write letters to scare their victims. One clinical study conducted determined that more than half of stalkers show signs of psychopathic, narcissistic, histrionic, or antisocial behaviors that cause them to do what they do. Studies also show that people aged between 18 to 24 have the highest rate of stalking, and sadly, 54% of female victims reported their stalking to police before they were killed. Between one to seven stalking victims are forced to move due to their victimization, and although all 50 states have put forth laws against stalking, only one-third of U.S. states consider stalking a felony which leaves victims without protection from the law. Exactly. So basically these guys or girls can get away with stalking because it's not like a real hard strike against their record. Well, here's the biggest problem is that you can't really prove to the law or to law enforcement that the person that's watching you or following you is doing it to hurt you, right? So if you see somebody a lot or they they follow you in the car or they're outside your house, Like the police can easily say, yeah, I get that, but are they doing anything? Are they threatening you? And it's like, no, but they're watching me all the time. Okay, but have they touched you? Have they done anything? Have they threatened your life? No. So it's like, that's so, that's a frustrating part about the whole stalking situation. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's uh, really horrifying that laws weren't even put into place until somewhat recently. So now that you guys have a better idea of how stalking laws work, Let's talk about some stalking stories that have given folks the chills. Our first story falls into the male stalker subcategory. In 2014, a New Jersey couple named Derek and Maria Bratis had purchased what they believed was their dream home in Westerfield, New Jersey. In June of 2014, a few days after the couple closed a deal on buying the home located at 657 Boulevard, Derek had just finished painting a wall when he decided to check the mail. He opened the box to discover a few bills, but among the usual mail was a white envelope titled in big letters, The New Owner. When Derek opened the letter and began to read, it started off warm and pretty genuine. The letter read, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? Now keep in mind, this house is worth $1.3 million and has six bedrooms, so Derek and Maria were pretty well off financially. It's a beautiful house. Yeah, it is. And I just wanted to give you somewhat of a visual. Okay, moving on. The writer continued. 
657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I've been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I see that you have already flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think that there are three that I have counted. More on the way. Do you need to fill the house with young blood as I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. Look out many of the windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Signed, The Watcher. It's so crazy to me that this is real, like that this is not the plot of a thriller movie. I just can't even imagine receiving that letter. Like, I don't even know what my next move would be. Because your first instinct is like, okay, I hope this is a joke, but it doesn't sound like a joke. Yeah, and you're also a parent who has children in the house, and this person, whoever it is, the watcher, is explaining that he's going to call to your children and that they are like fresh blood for him. Yeah, I don't think I'm moving into that fucking house. Well, luckily, I mean, this did really worry Derek and his family. So they actually contacted the owners who sold the house to them, named the Woodses. He told them about the cryptic letter and asked them if they knew anything about the incident. And to Derek's surprise, Andrea Woods replied that she did. She said that they lived in the house for 25 years and never received a letter until sometime shortly before selling the house. She said that the letter she received was, quote, odd, but that they didn't give the letter much thought. That very same day, Maria, accompanied by the Woodses, headed to the police department to file a report. So luckily they did take this seriously. They didn't just say, okay, that's weird, whatever. Right. So now Derek and his wife Maria were super anxious and paranoid, and two weeks later, the couple received yet another letter in the mail, but this time in a black envelope. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what's in the walls yet? In time, they will. I'm pleased to know your names now and the names of your young blood that you've brought to me. You certainly say their names often. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been for years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. 
Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I'm the Watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, and my obsession. And now you are too, Bradis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Sounds like he's really bitter that they have a nice house. Yeah, you can definitely tell there's a bitter tone in these letters. But what's... Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, what's scary is that he knows the Woods' family name. He knows that their names are the Braddis family. And he mentioned the letter that he sent to the Woods family. And you know what's interesting, too, is that Andrea Woods said that, oh, they received a letter, but they didn't really think about it. But then recent or then soon after they sold the house. So to me, I feel like, I don't know, I have a hard time believing that they weren't spooked by that because now he's saying they sold it when I told them to or whatever. So part of me thinks that Andrea was probably more scared of that letter than she's leading on. Oh, definitely. And let's be honest, you get one letter and you're like, ah, maybe this is just a hoax. Maybe someone's just joking around with me. Like that kind of stuff happens sometimes. But now you're receiving a second, more detailed letter. Pretty fucking freaky. And it's not just about this dude, but the fact that he's saying, have you found what's in the walls yet? And have you found all the secrets of the house? And so you're like, am I, is my house like possessed? Like what happened here kind of thing? Because he also talked about, you know, do you know all the history yet? And says that he passes multiple times a day. And we'll post photos of the house so you can see, but there are a ton of windows. So if I receive this letter, I would not feel comfortable staying in there like at all. Like I'm thinking about in our house receiving that letter. No. Yeah. It's not worth the risk. Definitely. Definitely not worth the risk. And you would just be laying there in bed at night, probably staring at the walls thinking, Are there dead bodies in the wall or like what's in the walls that I'm supposed to be worried about, you know? Yeah. And is this watcher like outside my house? Is he going to come inside? I mean, he said the house is his obsession. So he's not taking this lightly. This guy is not going away. The freakiest part, I think, was in the the first letter where he said, or was it the second one? Where he says, uh, look out your windows. Um, I could be out there or look at the cars that drive past. I might be in one. Like, Just how poetically put all of it is, this person clearly isn't just a stupid, like, idiot. They're actually very poetic with the way that they write these freaky letters. But with saying that, he's putting fear and anxiety in your head. Because now every time the Braddis family looks out the window and sees a car passing or some guy walking by the house, they're like, is that him? And he called them his neighbor, which means he's obviously someone who lives close by. And for some reason, really likes checking out the house, knows your kids' names. So this, it it could only get worse. So it's, it's good that they did act on it. Yeah, you would assume that this person probably lives in the area if they pass by quite often. Exactly. And to this day, the watcher has never been ID'd, although people have their suspicions. 
the Broadduses decided not to move into the home. So because they hadn't officially moved in, they were just moving their stuff in. So they didn't move in due to the letters and the threats. The home sold on the 4th of July in 2019 for $959,000, which is less than what the Broadduses bought it for by $400,000. So the value went down over the last six years. And we could probably guess why. I mean, because I remember reading about this in the news and there's the address right there. So if you look up that address, you're going to find articles about this story. So it makes sense why it decreased in value, which is really sad. Yeah, it's crazy to think that a story like this would have enough power to to lower the value of a home. Yeah, maybe the guy, maybe that's his goal. He just wants to lower the value so much so he can afford to live in it because It sounds like he's really bitter about people who have money. (laughs) But honestly, there's a lot more information on this case. If you're interested in the story, we may do a full episode on it someday. If you guys would dig that, let us know because there's so much more to it. Yeah, there's a lot more information. I didn't want to get all the way into it because there's some information regarding a couple neighbors that they thought might have been the culprit. But um, yeah, definitely. If you guys want a full episode, just let us know. In our true crime show called Going West, we've talked about different stalking cases, but one that really sticks out to me was the murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. I do really want to redo that episode because it was our third episode, so when we didn't know what the hell we were doing, but it's a crazy case. Okay, Heath, tell us. Very, very crazy case. So Dorothy was a 32-year-old woman from Anaheim, California, who had been receiving anonymous threatening phone calls in 1980. The caller claimed that he would get her alone and cut her up into tiny pieces so no one would ever find her. These kind of calls went on for months until she disappeared in May of 1980. A month later, in June, an unknown man called the Orange County Register and claimed to be the one who had kidnapped and killed Dorothy. Unfortunately, police were unable to trace the phone call. Shortly after Dorothy went missing, Her mother, Vera, began receiving phone calls from a man that claimed he had killed Dorothy. These calls continued for four years until 1984, with police doing everything they could to trace the calls. But back then, it was tough to do as the caller would hang up before they could pinpoint a location of the call, and also due to the fact that technology wasn't as advanced as it is today. One day, the man just stopped calling altogether. In August of 1984, partial remains were found and identified as Dorothy's. I remember in this case, too, well, her actual disappearance is really strange because she disappeared from a hospital and her friends saw it happen, or I think it was her coworkers saw it happen. And there was another thing where there was a rose put on her car at one point. I think it was her car, not her mom's, right? Yeah, yeah. And there was like a spider bite, like her friend had a spider bite, remember? Well, yeah, then that's why they went to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And then she went missing from the hospital. But there's all these weird things that she was, the person knew where she worked, they knew where she lived, and she just didn't know who it was. And didn't she start taking self-defense classes? Yeah, she's she took some self-defense classes for sure. Oh, it's so scary. And I was doing some wandering during my research and came across a Reddit thread that I thought was pretty scary. It's called r slash let's not meet. In this thread, people tell their real life scary stories, and I happened to stumble upon one that I thought was really creepy. The person writes, 
About a year ago, someone knocked on my bedroom window around 8 or so. I was just sitting there watching TV and I heard it. I called my husband's name and he went to go check. My daughter, 13, came out of the bathroom and said she thinks she might have heard someone knock on the bathroom window. No one was very scared by this because our neighborhood is very active and people are always outside, so we reasoned it was just some odd noise and we let it go. About an hour later, while everyone was going to bed, my daughter lets out the most horrific scream I've ever heard. My husband and I run into the living room and she flings herself into my arms and faints. When she comes to, she tells us that someone banged on her window and when she looked over, she saw a man staring at her. Of course, we call the police and my husband starts searching our property and the house next to ours, which has been empty for years. Cops find nothing. The next day, we add extra locks. I nail the curtains down so that they can't move and we try to move on. About two weeks later, the person comes back, just tapping, and since then, it's been pretty regular. Tapping, knocking, pretending to be a cat. I saw him on our porch. My eight-year-old saw him peeping through the window on the front door. We've called the police, we've stayed up all night waiting, and we've hidden trying to catch the person. But nothing works. My kids either sleep in the living room or our bedroom. We don't go out after dark. We don't stay home alone. The cops patrol, and we have a detective investigating this, but he's never caught. He came back last night at 2 a.m., but the kids were too scared to get out of bed to wake us. We're trying to move, and I've ordered cameras. My landlord wouldn't let me get cameras until I had the detective call him. I'm scared to go to sleep because I don't want to miss the text message from my kid telling me that he's here and her have to be scared until she passes out. Sheesh. That is so... I was going to say, okay, it's time for security cameras like the second time it happens, but I guess if you ordered them, I understand. That's really scary. I Can I have a little sidebar story? Absolutely. Okay, so last summer, before Heath and I moved to L.A., we had to stay at his parents' house for a little bit. So I was actually working on a Going West episode, and Heath was in the garage with his mom. And I think they were just like smoking and talking or whatever. And his dad was in the kitchen and I was in our room at the time that we were staying in. And it had gotten dark and I kind of forgot that it had gotten dark. And so I hadn't put the blinds down yet. But I was sitting in bed, which is right next to the window, like it's pushed up against this big window and it faces to the backyard. And I was sitting there working and I had my headphones in and I was doing research for a true crime case. And suddenly I hear like a tap on the window. Like a, it was like a, it wasn't a a small tap. It was like a hard one, two, three, four, like some, like someone was tapping on the window. And I look and I don't see anyone because it's pitch black. All I see is the reflection of the bedroom because I had the lights on. And I kind of like laughed and I was like, oh, funny Bob. You know, I thought it was Heath's dad like taking the dog outside to go to the bathroom and just walk in the backyard. It was probably like nine o'clock at night. And a few minutes go by and I still haven't put down the blinds. And it was probably like seven minutes later, the same tapping again. And it's like a foot away from my face. So I take my phone camera and I turn on the light and I put my face up against the window And I don't see anyone like it's just it's so dark I can't see. So then I closed the blinds and I was kind of like, okay, it's it's definitely Heath's dad. 
And the next morning, I asked everyone, and everyone was dead serious to this day that it was none of them. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, actually. I remember that day or that night, you were freaked the fuck out. And I was pretty sure it was my dad, too, because sometimes he can be a goofy guy. He likes to play pranks and stuff like that. But he was like, no, seriously, it wasn't me. And that night, we actually booby-trapped the fucking backyard. I I forgot about that. I shit you not. We're literally out there creating booby traps in the backyard, hoping to catch a fucking stalker or a peeper or something. Well, because I was like, it had to be Heath screwing with me. And he was like, no, I was in the garage. And I knew he was in the garage. Because a few minutes after that, I went out into the living room. Bob, Heath's dad, was not there. He wasn't around. So I think he was asleep. And then I went to the garage and I saw Heath and his mom. And I was like, oh, it was probably Bob before he went to bed. And then the next morning I asked him and he was like, no. I was like, Bob, stop fucking with me. And he's like, honey, I wouldn't have done that to you. I I swear on my life that was not me. And I got so scared. So then later when we all got home from work, his dad was like, all right, we're setting up a booby trap. And he got this like (laughs) fishing wire and like hung it like by the window. And he's like, nobody's nobody's tapping on that window tonight. Yeah. And we like literally set it up with like fishing wire and bells. So just in (laughs) case somebody tripped over the fishing wire, like the bell would go off and like alarm us. Yeah. So funny. Anyways, it was really scary, but kind of similar thing because I was really scared by that. I was like, because who was it? I don't know to yeah. this day. Maybe it was like a like uh like a bird that <laughs> just no, flew, flew it was like one, two, three, four. It was like a knock. See, I wasn't there, but I do believe you. At first, you were like, it was probably a tree. I'm like, no, this was four hard knocks. Yeah. Anyways, back to the podcast. Yeah, I don't know what it could have been, but another really uh scary story that I remember from a few years ago was. There was a video that was floating around my friend group on Facebook of a back porch camera from a resident of my city that had caught an unknown assailant creeping slowly up onto someone's porch. Oh my god, I just got the chills. Are you kidding? No, I swear. And the video shows this man peeping through the family's back sliding glass door while crouched down. Like he's just like crouched down watching through the window and they caught it on their fucking camera. Oh my God, this is the guy that was in your parents' backyard who tapped on the window. This Dude, is maybe. him. And the caption of the video was asking if anybody knew who the man was so that they could ID him. And it's really unsettling watching the video and realizing that it's not a fake video. Like it's not one of those fake videos that's just put on the internet to scare you. This is a really a real thing. And I remember like all my friends were sharing it on Facebook. They're all like, do you know who this guy is? Because everybody's scared. Like, who the fuck does that? You know what I mean? Like, oh, my God. Could you imagine that's your backyard camera and you you're just like, oh, I some you know, something came up on the camera. Let me watch the footage. And that's what you see. Yeah. And it's so creepy the oh way God. he he slowly creeps up to this porch and then he like crouches down on the porch and just sits there and watches through the window and you can kind of see him moving his head around so that he can see in between the blinds because I think the blinds were like closed or something but he's like moving back and forth so that he can kind of get a better view through the window. Oh my god I don't like that. That's so scary. With these videos though you don't know who they are especially if you can't see their face and even if you show it to the police it's just a matter of have you seen this man you know. Yeah and I never I never found out if they actually found out who the guy was or if they caught him or anything so pretty freaky. Jeez.
The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. So let's talk about some celebrity stalkers. And I mean, we all know that with fame comes fans. And we all know that although a majority of fans are usually harmless and pretty chill, actually, there's a few who take someone's celebrity status and turn it into an obsession. In the 90s, Madonna was stalked by a man who had developed an unhealthy obsession with her. He was then put into a mental hospital until he escaped in 1996. Madonna's bodyguards were on high alert, and for good reason, because sometime after the man escaped, he tried to jump over Madonna's wall at her home, but was shot by a bodyguard in the process. The man exclaimed that he was, quote, going to marry Madonna or slash her throat from ear to ear. After the incident, the man was placed back into police custody and sent to a more secure institution. In 2008, a man who had stalked Uma Thurman for years was convicted. He had sent her extremely graphic and sexual cards and drawings and even sent her a picture he drew of a man standing over an open grave holding a razor blade. And of course, most of us know about the murder of John Lennon. So lots of lots of really scary, scary stuff. And especially for Madonna to to know that he went to prison and then he escaped and he goes straight to her house. Yeah, exactly. Like dude had a motive in mind like he knew where he was going he had a plan and she has a wall i mean thank god she had bodyguards because a lot of normal people don't so at least she did so that he didn't freaking kill her yeah exactly and it's hard because at first you want to say man i really wish that bodyguard would have just shot him in the head but at the same time the guy probably very much likely suffers from a mental illness And here comes the part where we start talking about horror movies. Of course. Film has also given us some pretty real and raw movies that dig into the mind and psyche of the stalker. Films like Obsessed, Swim Fan, Cape Fear, and Sleeping with the Enemy show us the unsettling world of the common stalker. But honestly, the stalker genre even goes further back than those films. The film Peeping Tom from 1960 is a great example of a stalker film. And who could forget the films Fear and Misery? Oh, two good ones. Very good ones. Oh my god, Fear. Such a good one with Marky Mark. Oh, Fear is so good. Love it. Those films are 90s stalker gems. A pretty good underrated stalker film is one called Unlawful Entry. So check that one out if you haven't seen it. And most movies with Kurt Russell, in my opinion 
get an A or an an A+. A plus on the Kurt Russell. Oh, and I almost forgot the scariest stalker movie of them all, Halloween, because Michael Myers is the ultimate stalker. He is. I never really thought of it that way, but he totally is. Yeah, I don't think most people make that connection, but yeah, Michael Myers is totally a stalker. Now, let's get back to some real stories to keep this episode spook alive. And since we're getting close to Halloween, you know I had to throw in a little Halloween stalker fright for you. In 1995, Halloween 4 and 5 child actress Danielle Harris was stalked by a man who lived in Houston, Texas. The Houston PD contacted the LAPD because Danielle was living in Los Angeles and explained that they had been informed that a man named Christopher Small was on his way to Los Angeles to confront the then 18-year-old actress. Thankfully, Christopher was apprehended by authorities in L.A. before he could get to Danielle. But the nightmare didn't end there because Danielle was cast in Rob Zombie's Halloween installments. And in 2009, Christopher struck again, but this time Twitter stalking Danielle. He wrote a tweet to Danielle that said, By now you must realize I am slash was your life. You will rock. You always did stalker approved smiley face. Danielle was able to get a restraining order placed on Christopher that ordered him to stay 200 yards away from her, but that restraining order ended in 2012. And I'm unaware whether or not she renewed it, but I hope that she did. Yeah, no kidding. I really hope that she did. I heard that he had gone there with a couple of his family members, like he had flown from Houston or possibly drove from Houston to LA and Thank God they caught him before he could make contact with Danielle. By the way, uh, she's been a huge actress in the horror genre for a really long time. So if you're a horror fan and you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know who she is. I just remembered years ago, probably when I was in high school at some point, my friend who was um, in something on TV once had a stalker and he was on Twitter. And I, oh my God, I haven't thought about this in years, but he lived in... Different state, and he would just harass her on Twitter constantly. And he was probably like, she was like 17 or 16. He was probably like in his 30s or 40s. I did some major detective work on this, and I tried to get involved because I was so disgusted by all the scary things that he was saying to her. And he told me that he was going to grate me with a cheese grater. Wow. He said that to you? Yes. I just, I have not thought about that in years, but that guy was so scary and he was on Twitter and he was harassing her nonstop. Like social media stalking is legit. Oh yeah, definitely. It's one of those ones that uh, it's so easy to get away with because you're not physically there in that place. You're stalking somebody through the internet or through social media sites. So kind of hard, a lot harder to track, especially if that person is using like an anonymous account, then it's really hard to track. Well, he had his real name and I literally found his address. Like I, I did some real ass detective work on this guy and I was like, I'm going to go to his house. I was so freaked out by this guy. I'm like, I'm going to get him. I knew where he worked. I stalked the stalker. We're actually going to talk about that coming up here in a second and it's going to blow your mind. We're going to talk about stalking a stalker. You may think that the stalker has all the power, but in some cases, the stalker ends up paying the ultimate price. Such was the case for Texas resident Hector Castillo Jr. Apparently, Castillo had threatened to kill a woman and her son and had been seen lurking by their home on a few occasions. But one day, 
Hector didn't get so lucky, and the woman's 22-year-old son that he threatened to kill shot Hector in the torso, which ultimately killed him. They also say if you can't beat him, join him, which is exactly what a private investigation company based in London did in 1996. The PI business, MC Investigations Agency, produced what they call an anti-stalking service which aims to follow and stalk, well, stalkers. They use reverse psychology by following these demented fucks and basically giving them some of their own medicine. Love it. Yeah, amazing. These Keep guys it up. fucking rock. Apparently, this makes the stalker feel uncomfortable and less likely to continue stalking if the person feels that they might either get in trouble or be in trouble. The agency will send pictures through mail of the person, make an anonymous phone calls, and even trail the stalker for several days, weeks, or months. So these guys don't fuck around. They literally will stalk your stalking ass. I love that because especially with police, you know, a lot of the times when you go to the police, like we've discussed in this episode so far, they can't really do anything because... Yeah, there's laws and there's rules. Yeah, and so with this kind of thing, someone's actually being proactive and trying to help you. And that's awesome. I love that. Now that we live in the age of technology, in-person stalking still happens, but probably less frequently than internet stalking. And even more so lately. In fact, since the U.S. went into lockdown due to COVID, there's been a 51% increase in spying and stalking apps. This is called stalkerware which is an unethical way for people and businesses to track a person's location, steal emails, access your photos and videos, and more. So pretty unsettling considering this is happening right now. But let's talk about some specific online stalking situations that have made headlines. And sorry for any Castillos listening to this episode, but we've got another creepy Castillo on our hands. A 56-year-old man named Andy Castillo was arrested this year in Lubbock, Texas for targeting six real estate agents by sending them explicit and threatening emails and messages in Waco, Texas. Apparently, Creepy Castillo would threaten the realtor's children with sexual violence. Detectives say he has pulled the same stunts in as many as 10 different states and 20 different cities. He would even attempt to FaceTime his victims as well as call their business phones. Now more than ever, we see the rise of YouTube stars, Instagram influencers, podcasters, game streamers, and more. And that new age hustle brings along stalkers as well. Take the case of Bianca Devins, for example. Bianca was a fairly successful social media and internet star who became the victim of an internet stalker. The 17-year-old girl used sites like 4chan, Discord, and TikTok to gain popularity. Bianca had met a 21-year-old boy online named Brandon Clark, who had followed her content for quite some time, and at some point, the two hit it off, eventually sparking somewhat of a real-life relationship. But in July of 2019, Bianca and Brandon attended a concert together in Queens, New York. That night, apparently Bianca had kissed another boy, which sent Brandon into a rage, so he ended up stabbing the teen to death. Brandon then posted photos of Bianca's body on the site Discord with the caption, Sorry fuckers, you're going to have to find someone else to orbit. And if you're confused by that statement, I'll clear it up for you. In the internet world of famous social media influencers, or e-girls, as some people call them, 
is a group of young males who follow them called orbiters. Orbiters are basically people who follow or orbit another person's social media accounts or pages with romantic interest in the person they're following. This is what Brandon was before he met Bianca in person. Most of the time, these orbiters are harmless and will usually just make some weird sexual comment or try to private message the person they follow, which is still gross as fuck, but in Bianca's case, the internet world had joined her real world and sadly sealed her fate. The fact of the matter is, stalkers really do exist, whether we want to believe it or not. Shows like Netflix's You, which tries to romanticize and make you sympathize with a stalker, doesn't understand the effect that stalking has on victims who have suffered through traumatic experiences. Thankfully, laws have been put into place to help combat stalking, but have we really done enough? Okay, strangers, so what did we learn today? We learned that if you start receiving cryptic letters in the mail talking about the child-eating house you just moved into, it's probably best that you get the fuck out of town. We also learned that, unfortunately, being social media famous has its downsides. Like being creeped on by weird little shitheads with nothing better to do than try to slide into your DMs. And finally, we learned that if you feel like someone's watching you, you're probably right. So if you're in the shower and you're afraid to wash your hair, I can't say I blame you because when you open your eyes, there might be somebody standing there. Today's horror tip comes from every stalker movie and stalker TV show out there. Just don't be one. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to The Dark Parts. Don't forget to share it with a friend. We're a brand new show, so the love really helps. Yeah, don't forget to share it with your friends, your mom, your dad, your sister, your Aunt Denise, your Uncle Terry. I don't know. Just share it with everybody. All right, strangers, we'll see you next time. In The Dark Parts.